สมบุตรสนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอรหะทูสมมาสมบุตรสนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอรหะทูสมมาสมบุตรสะอภารุธาเดสังมาทัสสะวระเยสุรวันธาบมุนจันทุสถังไม่ใช่ว่าเราไม่ได้รับการยกย่องหรือไม่ได้รับการยกย่องหรือไม่ได้รับการยกย่องหรือไม่ได้รับการยกย่องหรือไม่ได้รับการยกย่องหรือไม
if if this tradition disappoints me, then I don't respect it anymore. Because we oftentimes our respect is based on ideals, uh, and very, and it's kind of held as a threat. And since we all want to feel respected, and you know, times we we can feel very threatened, people don't show respect to us, and we feel we're not being respected properly, then we we can feel very threatened or very angry or resentful because uh, everybody wants, and, you know, whether they admit it or not, basically we don't want to be despised, we want to be respected. <clears throat> And so the ego, you know, kind of demands respect. Like you say, I'm senior monk, so you've got to respect me, or I'm the spiritual director, and so this means you you have to respect me. You can use it as a kind of club uh, and a demand on others. So one is developing this awareness in one's mind of of what these things actually, how how to make them work, in the right way, so that that wanting respect isn't a demand. As if I demand your respect, if I say you've got to respect me because I'm spiritual director of this group and and all this you know, kind of list all my qualifications. Uh, then I'm what am I doing? I'm making it almost impossible for you to respect me <laughs> because it's, uh, I'm demanding it. And so, uh, and and respect doesn't, you know, you can go through the the uh, kind of external signs of respect. You know, you can bow and, and uh, do all the right form, you know, to show respect, but not have any respect for the person or the objects that you're bowing to or showing respect for in a physical way. In any structure, the uh, structures all are hierarchical, aren't they? So you you have you know you have uh, senior, junior, and those that came first, and those that came that are new, and the old timers, and the old boys, and the old girls, and the neophytes, and the and the committed and the uncommitted and the and then there's the senior bhikkhus the teras maha teras the teras and then the majimas and then the nawakas there's the different levels of bhikkhus from those with uh, teras have 10 10 years maha teras 20 years uh, and then there's 20, 30, 40, you Maha Terra. You get 10 years, you're called a Terra. And then, uh, and then under five years, after five years as a monk, you get called Majima. And then when, when you're just beginning, you're called Nawaka, the first five years, Nawaka monk. He's only, he's only Nawaka. And he's Majima, and Terra. And uh, I remember when I became a terror, I felt, <clears throat> now I'm really a, I'm a real terror. 
I came to England when I was a terror. And so, and then Mahatera. I'm like this. So these are just ways of, these are conventions uh, that we can also have contempt for. You know, we can, we can think, I'm not going to pay respect to you just because you're a Mahatera or that. You have to be worthy of my respect. You have to prove that you're worthy of respect. So we can become really snotty too about it. And so you get into this kind of snottiness. I'm not going to bow to you until you prove that you're worthy of my bow. And, that, and that's very arrogant too. So in, uh, in, in the uh, uh, convention we have, we're not, we're not, we're not uh, it's not a matter of personality or whether you feel that I'm actually worthy of your respect and your bows. But you're, it's a it's a convention of paying respect to, to uh, impersonally, not on just liking somebody or agreeing with somebody or feeling affinities or respect for them. But uh, you know, in uh, in Thailand, you pay respect even to monks who you know are slimy so and sos, just because they, they do represent the. The, uh, that they all have, you know, you're, you're buying not to their sliminess, but to the fact that, to the Sangha. And so you're using it not on, on a personal level. And this is very important because otherwise if we, we, we can be very, you know, I'm not going to bow to you. I don't like, you said something that offended me this morning, so I'm not going to bow to you now. It gets very petty and, and uh, childish. There's something grand about this other, isn't it? It's, it's asking us to rise up and be better than just following our f- feelings of the moment or our emotions or personal personal attitudes of the present. So this is how to use tradition uh, in order to uh, develop wisdom and uh, and to to uh, make life simpler for us so we're not it's not getting into a, a you know a kind of personality cult or or personal uh, feelings about each other giving those dominating and taking precedence over everything else and so it, it makes life we can live together because of this if we didn't have this then if it was just based on whether we like each other or agree with each other or all that all the time, then it changes all, you know, every day. Considering uh, li- what liking somebody is, you can like somebody and then just hate them the next moment. I can. Yeah, you know, somebody says, Ajahn Sumedho, you're... you're you're my teacher, and I think you're the greatest monk. And he's a nice guy, that one. And then, then he says, uh, "But uh, you know, I hate your guts." And then you think, <laughs> or says something that that offends or hurts or humiliates, and then one can dislike them immediately. So. So liking and disliking are based on 
on whether things are pleasing or displeasing to us. And life is always going to present us with a good variety of pleasurable, pleasing experiences and, and their opposites. And in any relationship, you know, you talk to any married couple, been married for any length of time, they've, they've been through a lot of, you know, hatred and love and hate. And <clears throat> I ask mothers sometimes about their children. I say, do you always love, do you always like your children? They say, no, sometimes I can't stand them. <laughs> so, uh, because sometimes children are not likable when they're acting terrible and being stubborn and and nasty and rude and all that. You can't like them at that moment. But then, so, so that one feels liking and disliking is, isn't, a, you know, isn't, you know, are very dependent states, depending on whether things are pleasing or displeasing us. But in... Um, through wisdom, then we're getting beyond liking and disliking. The meditation, as you develop wisdom, then you're you're transcending these emotional habits of liking and disliking somebody toward, say, um, which is like unconditioned love, which isn't based on whether things pleasing or good or desirable, but metta, say, for example, is loving kindness for everything. You know, when we spread metta, we spread it to the devils and the angels and the, and the good ones and the bad ones and the whole lot, and not excluding any living conscious being whatsoever. So, so this is moving toward an unconditioned love, which isn't based on conditions like liking and disliking. So, so uh, this is what we begin to tune into when we're being mindful, what we begin to realize, recognize, that underlying all this liking and disliking and personal preferences and habits and, and uh, situations and things like this, there is this underlying unconditioned love that is our true nature, you know, that isn't personal. It's not like, I have it. I have more of it than you do, or well, it's not like that at all. It's not conditioned. It's not personal. And so when we, in the Buddhist attitude of anatta, and no self, even though that can be another kind of heavy trip, you know, Buddha taught no soul, no God, no self, kind of hard-line denial of everything. The, that's not the point of the teaching, is not to just kind of cancel out yourself, but to get beyond the conditioning that you have, the personality that you, you're blinded by, the emotional habits you've developed, all the things that are changeable and dependent and conditioned, you know, it's pointing beyond that to this awakened state, the awakened mind, uh, where there is this, un the, the, where you realize this unconditioned love. It's, a, it's, rea it's reality, it's not, not a, something you create. 
is not a creation or a condition you get when you're enlightened. It's, it's natural, always present. And so it's not something that, that we lack or we don't have, it's just we forget or we don't even know about it because we're so caught up in the, uh, in our loves and our likes and dislikes and our sense of our self-importance and whether we're being treated properly or not or respected or not respected enough or all this. And when we, when we get caught into all that, then life is incredibly complicated and convoluted and difficult, fraught. I've always had this longing to live alone because I've always found you know, the community life full of these, there's so much tensions created around personality and people living together closely that you have to, you have to open yourself up to, to a whole community like here at Amravati, isn't it? You're opening your mind up to a, to a large group of people that you don't, you can't choose, you can't say, uh, you, you know, you've got, when if you come here, the agreement, if you come to live in this place, you've got to accept who's here. It doesn't matter whether liking or disliking them, but these are the ones that are here. And so then the, the community is based on moral, moral responsibilities, at least. We, we, we are, our, our intention is to live a moral life, take responsibility for action and speech in this community. So they have the five precepts, eight precepts, uh, the Bapacha, ten precepts, and the Thiladhara precepts, and the uh, Bhikkhu. And these are just kind of different uh, conventions which, which uh, help us to, they commit ourselves more strongly to uh, being responsible and being thoughtful, being mindful, uh, being awake in our life here in this uh, monastery. The refuge in Sangha, for example, is is uh, it's not person. Sangha is not a person. It's not a it's not a personality. So, so it's not uh, taking refuge in me as a personality, or in Ajahn V or anybody you know as a person. It's not not a, and even though we can we can we can make it very personal, but but that's not encouraged. It's not to to develop personal attachments or emphasize personality, but to develop that sense of Sangha, those who practice. You see the bhikkhus, the siddhadharas, the anagarikas, anagarikas, and all this kind of, they've made a strong commitment to uh, restraint, moral precepts, and training. So, <clears throat> doesn't mean that we're in any way, we're any better than the lay people. We're not trying to you know, to to say that somehow we're we're purer or 
better than anyone else, or that that because I'm a Mahatera, that I'm somehow uh, much better than uh, than an Anagarika or whatever. This, this is this is personal, isn't it? That's that's the worldly value of uh, making everything. You know, if if you're at the top, then you're the best. If you're the eldest and have made the strongest commitment, then somehow you're better than someone who's new or someone who hasn't made a commitment. Or if you if you're celibate, you're better than than somebody who's not celibate. Or or you're if you strict with the Vinaya, somehow you're a lot better than a monk who's not strict with the Vinaya and so and on like this. You get into this kind of snootiness again. You know, I'm purer than you are, or holier than thou. That's the self again, isn't it? That's using the convention as a, not for mindfulness, but for a position, for for creating an ego around being somehow more strict or more pure or higher than somebody else. And that's, that's not, uh, that's, there's no chance of liberation if one is attached to those kind of, of uh, perceptions. But some those kind of perceptions can arise and, and so it's not, not matter the of saying we shouldn't think we're better, but recognizing any any sense of oneself as being better, worse, the same as, or uh, in any way that I'm pure, or or than somebody else, whatever, all this, or I'm I'm not as pure, I'm not as good as the rest, or whether it's it's in the mode of of the kind of uh, groveling humility. Uh, or or arrogant superiority, it's still a self view, and the, 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 that's what the self is all about. We can even, you know, egalitarians. We're all the same. We're all equal. We're all just as pure. All just as good. There's nobody higher or lower. We're all just the same. That's the same problem. It's still the self. Whether you think you're equal, everybody's the same, or you think you're better or worse. Because it's based on the sense of me and you, whether it's the same, higher or lower, is it's the, the basic problem is the illusion, the delusion we're clinging to. So how do you get out of that? Because we, you know, that's the that's the challenge, isn't it? How to how to live, how to be, say. A spiritual director, a Mahatera, uh, and not be attached to those perceptions, or how to be the newest and most clumsy Nagarika, uh, and still not be attached to. The feeling that that you're you look down on, or that you're you're just a, a nobody who who's taken for granted, nobody appreciates, and whatever you know, you think I'm I've I've given my life to the sangha, and I'm I've uh, worked hard for the spreading of Buddhism, 
That's self, isn't it? Or if I'm, say, I'm, I'm just a new person and, and I don't know anything. All these things, are, the sense of self is around the pronoun, me, mine, I am, I am not, and all that. So the awareness is where we begin to, to know the difference between personality and purity. Personality can never be pure. It's always going to be tainted in some way. You can't make yourself a pure person uh, because personality is, is conditioned out of ignorance. It's out of a vicha that we get caught in our personalities and, and cling to our sense of our person, our separateness and our personality and our position. So, that's why no matter how hard you try to become a pure personality, you'll never, you'll never succeed. You'll always, you'll never be good enough. You'll never be pure enough. Or even if you start thinking you are absolutely pure, that's dangerous. I'm the purest person here. <laughs> That's dangerous. If you really believe it, you're crazy. Because <laughs> because uh, personality is not where the purity lies. Personality is always, you know, it's it's conditioned, it's changeable, it's dependent. And even if you're, you know, strict with the rules and celibate and never have a dirty thought and 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 you're just uh, always on time and always the very best and uh, as soon as you attach the idea that you're that you're so pure then that's there's a taint there even though all those things might be admirable and praiseworthy the attachment to achievement or to uh, any convention whatsoever is is a taint, be a stain of some sort. You, it'll always lead to some sense of feeling discontented, of feeling agitated. So like in Vipassana meditation, we start recognizing this sense of agitation, just well, on the conditioned level, you begin to feel a kind of like agitated, irritated uh, feeling that's natural to this to the conditioned realm. As long as one's attention is aimed always on the conditioned level, uh, then uh, then there's always this sense of you know impending doom or danger or discontentment or restlessness. Uh, uh, something's going to go wrong. And because the conditioned realm is like that, it's a, it's a, it's a moving uh, agitation that's changing and dependent. So the conditioned realm, which is the body and the senses, the eye, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, thought itself, memory, uh, habits, uh, emotional habits, and so forth, they're all, all this is, is this agitated experience. Uh, that we can uh, begin to recognize in the present. But that which is aware of that is our refuge. We're not taking refuge in the, in, in the condition. 
but in the unconditioned, which is recognized, realized through awareness of the condition. So it's it's like you're say the ignorant person's always seeking perfection or happiness or something in the conditioned realm. That's always looking for somebody to make me happy, looking for the right monastery, looking for the right job, looking for the right community, looking for the right cave in the right mountain. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, there's so many, you know, you spend your life trying to find all these right things and, and uh, in, in your, even though you, you might find the very best of the condition, you'll still have this feeling of discontentment, something, something's going to ruin it, something's going to happen. <clears throat> so that's, uh, so that's why it's trying to prop up and, and trying to, to always seek the best and, and the thing, the conditions that, that you imagine are the best and the idea ideal, they'll inevitably fail you. Every teacher, you know, no matter how, you know, the arahants die. And today is uh, the day five years ago that Ajahn Buddhadasa died, 8th of July, five years ago. One of the great monks of Thailand, and uh, he died. And so, uh, now we've got a memory of Ajahn Buddhadasa, and he, he wrote lots of books. But if we took refuge in Ajahn Buddhadasa, then when he's dead, we'd feel our refuge is dead. So, you know, we might work, we might find security and happiness while he's alive. When he's dead, then what? He's deserted. Some people can even feel angry about somebody dying. You've you've left me. You've deserted me. What a rotten thing to have done. I've heard people say things like that. But so that this is because the refuge is in in a person in a in a in a projection of your mind. Because how can you ever take? How can you ever find fulfillment in somebody else? Uh, it's impossible when you really contemplate it. To make that demand on somebody else that they make me happy and fulfill me is a demand, isn't it? It's, it's asking somebody to do something that's impossible. Because that's not where it's at. It can't, no one else can fulfill me or make me permanently happy or content and to expect somebody to do that is uh, is you know a childish demand so in meditation we got like growing up and in the sense of maturity where we we take responsibility instead of it's like learning to, to, to trust in the unconditioned, the ability to love unconditionally rather than uh, the conditioned kind of thing, I'll love you if you love me, or 
I love you as long as you do what I like uh, and you don't disappoint me and don't do something that I disapprove of that I don't love you anymore. Unconditioned love isn't, makes no demands. There's no conditions. So it's very pure. It's not, it doesn't desert us and fade when everything goes wrong or when when people do bad things or are nasty and mean and vicious and cruel and criminal and corrupt. And the unconditioned love has no conditions. Uh, it's not, no matter how bad you might be, unconditioned love is not, is not affected by any badness, either through thought or action or speech. So this is a, a refuge, you know, this is a refuge, is, is uh, something real, and that's why it's a realization. We talk about realizing Nibbana. It's, it's real, it's reality. So we're awake to the reality. And in order to do that, we let go of all these personal habits, we're not trying. We're not judging or getting rid of them. We're no longer believing, no longer identifying, no longer clinging to the feelings, the emotions that we're having. We're accepting. We're recognizing. We're learning how to bear with uh, the anger or resentment or impatience or whatever that we're feeling, because we're not trying to. We're not making, we're not uh, judging it in any way, we're merely recognizing it, realizing it, knowing it for what it is. The faith and Karani tell all conditions are impermanent and anatta, not self. And you can prove this, uh, contemplate this, this is something to be realized and not something to be, that you, you have to believe in. And so meditation, as, I, as I've developed it anyway, this realization is something quite, you know, quite possible. Not, not something I'm, I'm just talking about uh, as an ideal. It's not an idea, but it's a reality. But it does take a, a, the determination to learn, to learn how to uh, open to the experience in the present, no matter how unpleasant or boring or tedious or difficult it might seem. One thing about being uh, in the Sangha is the com commitment to, to uh, the eight precepts or the ten precepts or the Vinaya is that it does. It gives us a, 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 a very strong sense of support for this practice because it, uh, you know, you can't, if lay people can, uh, can follow their moods and, you know, come and go when they feel happy and when they don't like us anymore, they leave and so forth. But 
when, when you make a commitment, then you have to stay sometimes in situations you don't like, you can't stand anymore, and people you're fed up with, and, and all that. And that, you know, helps us to not just impulsively react to, to the conditions of the present, but to bear with, to begin to use a situation more with wisdom, On the level of of uh, morality, it's safe, isn't it? When we everybody has moral rights, uh, none 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 of us can gonna encourage immoral actions. And if we do, you should say, should tell us off, <laughs> as you have these rights, uh, so that uh, the precepts that you've taken, then those are your rights now. You've made a strong commitment and uh, termination. And people talk about rights now, and, and they're talking about rights to do anything they feel like, you know, which is really dangerous. I've got a right to say anything or do anything. Or, and uh, so that oftentimes it's like modern ideas of democracy are horrific because everybody's demanding rights to follow every crazy impulse they might feel. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, this, and of course we, we get this endless conflicts over that. How far do you let people get away with their eccentricities or their perversities or the whatever, you know, when is it right and when is it not right and moral issues and on and on. It gets very complicated now. It is not so, so simple as it used to be. But in terms of right, think of like moral, uh, you, you, you asked for precepts, you know, like this evening the, the, people who took the eight precepts, asked to be given those precepts. That's something you've requested, not something forced on you by that spiritual director, that tyrant that lives in this place, makes you be celibate, makes you eat, not eat food in the afternoon, and it's all this oppressive uh, hierarchy that that uh, that you've uh, you know that you're really objecting to there's there's senior monks and senior nuns and you know, where they they are on their power trips that kind of thing remember it's uh, uh, that that is uh, uh, oftentimes something that you know we're that's a thing to look at in yourself. The fear of being taken advantage of. The fear of, of somebody thinking they're better than you are. Or you thinking you're better than somebody because somehow you're more honest than that senior monk or senior nun or whatever. The only way we can carry on uh, in, in, and create such enormous problems around these things. Then, but the, what is encouraged is to 
observe this, this sense of, I don't like you anymore, I resent being at the bottom of the heap, I don't, uh, I don't agree with this, I don't like the way, I've, I, I don't like Theravada Buddhism anymore, or anything like that. Just observe that feeling, that sense of, I don't like, I don't want, I resent. Don't, don't analyze it. It's not trying to convince you you shouldn't feel that way. But if that's what you're feeling, that feeling is, is the way it is right now. And as long as you personally identify with that feeling, you'll always suffer wherever you go, whether you leave here, wherever, whoever you're with. You'll, in some way, that feeling will arise. And between married people, one's trying to, she's trying to boss me around, or he's a, he's a dominating male chauvinist. There's always a sense of, of uh, you know, s- someone trying to be on a power trip against the other one. Or oh, you're so afraid of somebody thinking they're better or that they've got power over it. And to feel threatened by people who have power over, over us. And we can resent that. And that's important to see, the, the re- resentment. And it's like, uh, like I have a lot of power as a, uh, in the position I'm in. Don't I? I mean, this, is, this is not, I'm not boasting. This is the way it is, you know. What, uh, whether I smile or I frown at you can have tremendous impact for your day, can't it? <laughs> or I can <laughs> whether I'm in a good mood or a bad mood or whether I'm whether I like you or don't like you uh, whereas they uh, because I'm in a very powerful position uh, then then this is uh, because look you're all looking at me listening to me this is, this is a powerful position to be in just recognizing this So, so there can be resentment based on the fact that I do have power. Uh, now that that is now that nothing wrong with power, but but how it's used, isn't it? How to use power? How to um, use it in the right way so that it's for the benefit of the community rather than for some personal benefit or from some some selfish benefit. So the challenge for any leading person, some senior person, is how to how to use the power that is given to them for the benefit of the whole community and the society. That's the challenge. It's like for example the the say the king of Thailand is uh, uh, he's, he's supposed to live by these ten Raja Dhammas of the king. And that's, uh, even though the king is given this tremendous power by the people, whether he uses that power for the welfare of the country or for himself determines whether he's a tyrant or a great king. You know, so, so sometimes we look at, you know, and people from democratic backgrounds look at kings and 
world oftentimes as tyrants because oftentimes that can be you can use the power that that you gain through those positions for just selfish indulgence and exploitation or you can use that power like the Thai king one feels he uses the power for the welfare of the Thai people you know, I've seen over many years very good king, very good man who's, who's trying his hardest to use his position for the welfare of the country. So his, his people love him. Thai people love the king. Not because he's, not just because he's a king, but because he's a, a worthy king who's, who they trust. But then, this applies to, to say, whatever position you're in. If you're at the bottom of the heap, the newest Anagarika, the last one in the, in the chow line, the, the last Anagarika that goes through the, the survey to to choose what's left after all the rest of us have taken all the good chicken breasts. <laughs> Things like that. You can, so you can, <laughs> you, can uh, you can really resent that. That, that guy up there, that senior monk, he gets choice choice every day. Why, why can't we just let, why can't we let the last Panagoric car go first some days? Make it Fair. <clears throat> Change it around so that, you know, it, it's, uh, it's not just he getting a first choice every day. And, you know, why can't I have first choice some days too? And then we listen to this, this kind of stuff, this complaining and resentment. And then, in terms of spiritual development, that's not the point. It's, you know, to uh, not a matter of, of of it fitting our ideas of fairness on a personal level, but in uh, in the fact that, that as a, as say the most senior monk, for me to be considerate when I'm choosing the food, so I'm not just taking the the choice bits first. You know, that's another challenge to to one senior position is so that you're. You're learning to take, because you're the first one, you've got to realize that there's a lot more people who are going to follow behind you, so you've got to be very careful about what you take. So there's love, and so sometimes I've gone through periods where I've taken the practice of taking the worst. trying to leave, uh, uh, you know, think of the people that are following. So then the, the, uh, the, the position we're in also, whether we're the most junior or the most senior, it doesn't matter. It's the attitude we have, how we use this position, how the most junior how she can use her position for the welfare of the community rather than just 
see herself always as a, at the as you know at the bottom. But how to use that bottom position for the welfare of the community? This is this is like a challenge to us, isn't it? So we're we're learning to. We're not demanding that I'm going to, when I get to the top, then I'll take an interest in the community. But it's learning how to serve the community in whatever position we find ourselves. That takes mindfulness and wisdom. Uh, So one can be a little snot at the end of the line, or a big tyrant at the head of the line, or you can can, uh, learn how to develop the situation uh, in, in a mature and, lo- and loving and caring way. <laughs> so this, uh, this is uh, the holy lie. It, it, because the, the refuge is in this purity, which isn't a matter of hierarchy or position. Doesn't mean that because I'm Mahatera that I'm pure, more pure than any of you. Because I've practiced meditation, been a monk for a long time, so I'm a lot better than you. That's that would that would no longer. Uh, that that attitude, if I clung to that view, that would be impure. But it's the, it's the letting go of these attitudes, non-attachment, and and that is isn't a matter of time in the order or position in the sangha, but of your. Awakenness, whether you're willing to be awake now or not, that's uh, something only you can do, isn't it? It's not, not, I can't, the, the head monk cannot make you mindful through a, a command. It's all, and that's strictly your business, whether you want to wake up or not. And so, so the encouragement is to do that, but whether you do that or not, it's up to you. Then, in the in the actual conventional form, it's based on this uh, structure that we have, this tradition, Dhamma Vinaya, and that that isn't some, that's not my idea, isn't it? It's not Ajahn Sumedho's plan. It's a tradition. Uh, that we relate to uh, from, you know, the time of the Buddha. So, I mean, it, it gives us a sense of, of not just uh, going along with some, some bright ideas that I might have or a uh, senior monk, senior nun might have, but in really uh, surrendering to a form and a tradition uh, in order to use it uh, rather than endlessly quibble and argue and and make problems about uh, this rule or that convention. They didn't want a, a convention that you agree to use. Uh, so it makes life much more easy. Because if everybody, if you can't agree on the conventions, then you have these very confused societies. Everybody's doing their own thing and Nobody can get along with anybody because uh, 
everybody's going their own way. But it does work when you have a monastery that actually you people have surrendered or committed themselves to live within the restraint of this convention, then it it helps to to make this side of life smooth and and not diff- and not and we don't endlessly have to create problems around uh, relationships and views and opinions and ideas. That doesn't mean we don't do that, but <laughs> we're not. That's not the point of our life. That's certainly not what I'm. I ordained to do was to spend my time arguing about various conventions or worldly things. Also, we have here in England uh, international sangha. So it's you know it's, it's a real challenge, isn't it, to to uh, live with people from all different kinds of cultural backgrounds. This, that, that creates, there's a lot of problems just around cultural background, isn't it? About how the, these people react and those people react to different things. And so it, it's, uh, you know, and then the difference between uh, men and women, male, female, and so forth. And all this is, you know, these are the melodramas, the soap operas of life, about relationships and problems and who's being unfaithful and who, who's cheating on who and who's died, who has died and who's, who's making more money and who is being cheated and, and, and taken advantage of and exploited and abused and deceived and oh, these are these are the, what soap operas are about and the, the melodramas of our lives. So in a monastery, there's not we don't try to create melodramas, but we can watch them in our mind. You know, they've got plenty. I've been through many a melodrama in my mind, but always with the, you know, the intention to transcend it, to not be caught into it, not not be deluded by the melodrama that I might be experiencing in my mind. So this evening we have the uh, circumambulation at what, 10 o'clock or is that too soon? It's 9.44 now. Too soon? 10.15? So we can have a break now and assemble at the, at here, 10.15. Those who want to participate.